So this morning we'll continue in Mark's gospel and we'll encounter um, kind of one key question that I want to put to us. It's, it's in, the, in the narrative and, and throughout the gospels there, there are all these questions that people are asking and, and questions that Jesus asks. Oftentimes Jesus answers a question with a question. And some of these questions are really insightful, um, kind of ironic devices that tell us a whole lot about what's really going on. And, and sometimes the people asking them uh, surprise us because they have a surprising insight into who Jesus is. The question this morning is, is what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And Abby will read in a minute. Um, that question comes from the lips of a man with a disturbing spirit, with a, a, an impure spirit, someone who had something inside of him that was making him not himself, um, a, a spirit that Jesus heals him of, drives out of him. And it's questions like this, and it's this specific question that it's an identity question. What have you to do with us? Who are you, Jesus? And it's also an authority question. What have you to do with us is who are you and what does that have to do with me? So we're going to seek to, to, to ask that question or, or to have that question asked of ourselves. And I'm going to invite Abby to come up and read. Mark 1, 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Thanks, Abby. <coughs> so a couple things to keep in mind whenever you're hearing a story from Mark's gospel. He's a really unique gospel writer. He's He's quick. He's to the point. His narrative is fast-paced. It's dotted with, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened immediately. <clears throat> it's often um, considered, a, one theologian considers Mark's gospel a, really just a, a passion narrative, a crucifixion with an extended inter, introduction because all the force and all the flow is pointed towards the cross. And also throughout Mark's gospel, if, if you read it, and it's pretty short, so I'd encourage you to read it. Sit down and read it in one, one sitting, and it's pretty remarkable. There's this messianic secret, this kind of mystery that looms over this whole gospel. And that's why, uh, actually, the, the Greek Orthodox Church, which is, is really a, a church concerned with keeping a, 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 you know, mystery in our faith, um, really celebrates uh, Mark as kind of the evangelist that they like to listen to. But through, throughout Mark's gospel, there's, there's all these healings. And throughout all the gospel, there's, there's like 
I think, 30 healings that happens as we, as we follow Jesus um, throughout his, his life, throughout his mission towards the end of his life. It's really remarkable throughout these healings, throughout the things he's saying, his teachings, who recognizes Jesus? Who, again, has that kind of insight? Who's asking the right questions? Who's making the right statements? And it's normally not even Jesus' followers. Isn't that remarkable for us, as Jesus' followers? In, in Mark's gospel, and, and in the other ones too, there's, it's really interesting because the authority of Jesus is often not really recognized fully until he's hanging on the cross, surprisingly enough. And even then, sometimes ironically, with signs like King of the Jews or, or uh, statements from thieves and, and uh, uh, the thieves hanging on either side of them. But <clears throat> I think we make a mistake when, if, if we realize these kind of like oblique statements, the statements kind of from an angle, as, as statements of confusion, you know, that Jesus didn't understand who he was or wasn't making these claims or that Jesus wasn't divine or didn't have authority because I, I think claims like, like um, is made in Mark's Gospel today that we read a couple times. It says the crowds were astonished because he taught them as one having authority and later after he healed the guy, they were all amazed and they kept saying, what is this, a new teaching in one with authority. Authority claims are, are high Christology claims. They're high divinity claims. They say that Jesus is God. Jesus has authority. And you see, there's after he taught in the uh, synagogue on the Sabbath in Capernaum, the, their, their statement of they were astounded at his teaching because he, he taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. There's this kind of kind of comparison set up. And I don't think it's saying that the scribes or religious teachers are bad. They're copyists, right? They're reading and interpreting what's in front of them. They didn't generate that script. They're telling the story. And the remarkable thing for the crowds, what amazes them, and actually that amaze for it has a, has a little bit of a hint of kind of terror. It kind of freaks them out a little bit, is that they come to church expecting a preacher, and, and, and they get the one being preached about. That is frightening. That's, that's bizarre. That's a huge claim, and, and, and a claim kind of substantial enough that it could cause problems. It might even send someone to their death. You know, the, this, is, this is kind of hard for us in, in our time and our place and how we look at authority to really understand. And, and, and so there's this, this kind of famous line that C.S. Lewis makes to try to, to re-energize that to us and, and talk about Jesus' authority, his identity. And he says, you know, when Jesus says these sort of things, it means one of three things. It means that he's either the son of God or that he's a madman, right? Or the third thing, that he's worse than a madman, that he, he's a liar or... A crook. So when, when we come to a story like this and we, we, we understand that Christ is teaching, Christ is healing as one with authority, uh, I want us to hear, to hear something very specific here. So much of our 
thoughts about authority have probably are kind of tinted with, with authority that we never liked to hear from. You know, bullies and coaches and parents or um, so someone who wielded their authority with, with kind of a, a violence or a, a domination towards us and, and, and we couldn't handle that. But when we talk about authority, I, I want us to hear something specific. It is a power word, but it also kind of connotes um, very specifically the, the first part of that word is, is authorship. When we, when we think about authority, we think of, of so, someone who's making out of original stuff. Again, they came to that synagogue expecting a preacher, and they got God, the author. They expected a storyteller, and they got the author of the story. And so when I was thinking about this and trying to make analogies to, to share, um, all my analogies were kind of the same analogy, right? Like you, you go to a poetry reading expecting to hear like great poetry and the author shows up and, and that's shocking and surprising. You know, my, my Angelo shows up. Um, you know, you go, you go to a meal and like, you know, uh, you, you go to like Emerald's restaurant, right? Like chain restaurant and Emerald shows up. Whoa, right? That means more, that means more to my parents uh, and maybe Austin is from Louisiana, so. Or, you know, like, I, I think more on par, and, and this still kind of fails, is like you, you take a course on Shakespeare and, and with like the most respected authority, uh, like kind of derived secondhand authority teacher on Shakespeare, and, and lo and behold, Bill Shakespeare shows up in your class, right? That's how frightening, that's how freaky this is. And that's what they're starting to recognize in, in these questions that they ask. And this, this authority as author line of thought kind of runs throughout um, Jesus' followers, kind of the way they, they put the pieces together after Jesus goes to his cross, after Jesus rises from the, the dead. We have, um, it's really interesting, and it's kind of a, a flip echo of what's going on in this story in, in the beginning of Acts when Peter, uh, I think it's Peter and John, meet a, a man on the, the steps of Solomon's colonnade. And, and they, it's a really great story. Go back and, and look at it in the first few chapters. And they meet him, and the guy's begging, and he says, oh, we don't have silver, we don't have gold, but what we have we'll give to you. Rise in the name of Jesus. And then he's healed. And then, after that, Peter makes this big speech to everyone. And, and, and he's trying to explain that Jesus was killed and rose from the dead. And, and here's, here's kind of his, his wording here, which is really interesting. And I think hints at this authority of Jesus. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Again, that's the sort of thing that amazes you. And it's not just like an impressive turn of phrase, but it is kind of scary because it turns everything we think we know on its head. There's a, a tinge of terror in realizing something like that. And then the writer of Hebrews, after that really great um, chapter, kind of hall of faith, hall of fame, uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12, he, he's, he or she starts the the chapter by saying, 
let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the beginner of our faith, and also the, perfect, the perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of our faith. Again, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, equal with God, next to God, at his right hand. So I think we have a, a little difficulty understanding that because of all the baggage and all the things we have tied with authority. I also think we have a little bit of difficulty mapping that because we just can't map it, right? We can't make original stuff. This is like the, the classic like arts and creativity fallacy, right? Like to, to really be a good artist, I need to make something so original. I need to like have this spark from the ether and make something so impressive and so new. This is, I need to write a poem that no one's ever heard before or a song that no one like blows, blows their minds or, or sculpts something or crafts something. But the fallacy in that is, is we don't make anything. <laughs> we, we at best craft or remake. Um, we work with materials that we already have. We bring some order to that chaos, but we don't need total void to start with. Uh, I think a lot of our problem, a lot of the ways that we, we kind of spin our wheels or, or, or the ways that sin works out in our lives is when we kind of chase after that fallacy that, that we, can, we can be the creator, you know, that we can make something ourselves. When, when really the, the, the gospel says and, and where the gospel story is pointed is, is towards this, this recreation where God takes all of the, the things, all the things he originally said were good, all the things that are broken, all the things with, you know, Leonard Cohen said that have a crack, but that's where the light shines in. And then he, he remakes them, but he doesn't clear the lot. He doesn't, you know, level everything out and start over it, but... but the New Jerusalem comes down and overlays and, and heaven <laughs> moves down and, and reconnects with earth. And it's so mysterious. I don't know how it works, but I know that if we understand ourselves as, as recreators, not as authors, not as ones with our own authority, but somehow linked and connected and partnering with God who has authority, God who made and, and remakes, I think that's our whole vocation. That's like, that's where this is all headed. That's, that's what gives our lives purpose. That's why I love, I love things like um, just up the road here, like the scrap exchange is so unabashedly um, into this like reuse, remaking thing. Like it's, so, it's such the opposite of, you know, going into like an art store or like Sherwin-Williams and you have just a wall of paint and you can assume like, I can just work this raw material into what I want. No, the, the scrap exchange in places like it requires so much kind of imagination and love and attention and care and creativity to look at something and say, you were this, um, you were spent maybe for good or, or, or worse, and, and you can be remade or, or re-included into something new, something with life and substance, something with new purpose. And I, I think that's what 
God does to us. I, I think that's why we even engage with like arts and creativity conversations because each one of us is, is some kind of model of that, of God taking something and, and renewing and breathing new life into it. And I think <clears throat> in this passage when we talk about authority, when we talk about authorship, we see a vital connection, right? Uh, the first part of this passage has Jesus speaking with authority, and the second part of this passage has Jesus acting with authority. And, and the people that he's, he's with see his authority in both of those, in word and in deed. And, and unless we forget, this, this passage comes connected with the, the previous passage where, where I think implicitly Jesus shows his authority when he calls those disciples and they drop their nets. And, and again, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and, and that call is an interruptive call, um, but it's a call that kind of transfigures their callings. And it takes them from fishers and makes them fishers of men. So uh, when, you talk about, when you talk about the gospel or, or, or this kind of authority and, and word and indeed, uh, it's always it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing about is Jesus is, you know, is the gospel, is the content of that gospel, is the content of that authority, is it in what Jesus is doing or what Jesus is saying primarily? Like, is, is Jesus just saying stuff to describe how he's healing this man? Or is Jesus just healing this man to describe, like, or to, to demonstrate what he's saying? And I think it's, it's yes, it's both. It, it, it's his authority and his, his power is so intertwined with word and deed. It's so inseparable um, that, that I, I think you make a mistake just focusing on one or the other. It's, it, and why this is important, because I, I think this, this demonstrates to us, this proclaims to us, this challenges us with our, with our lives, how we live our lives integrated with our word and deed and, and kind of drafting off this authority of Jesus. That's why I'm excited uh, about conversations like we had last Sunday um, talking about some of the, the mission stuff that we're going to do this year in this neighborhood. Um, but I'm challenged by this that, that we don't just, just you know, witness to and, and put forth Jesus' authority just in, in deed that we don't just do a bunch of good things, though they're good things, and they, they demonstrate and proclaim Christ's kingdom. But that, that, that we do it in word, and, and I think that's what these home groups and discipleship groups do, is they, they challenge us, and they grow us, and they grow our ability, and they sharpen us to, to be able to put to words a little bit and also proclaim with power and with the kind of authority that we have in Christ just what's going on, just what Christ has planned for this world, just the opportunity of forgiveness of sins, the opportunity of new life, of being dead to our sin and raised to new life in Christ. That's a powerful proclamation that we need to always continually be refreshing, having our minds transformed and renewed and have our, our imaginations just completely reinvigorated. In terms of, 
of Jesus' authority in the story. I wonder, as I read, just what was he teaching? Mark is so concise, he doesn't even tell us that. He just said, Jesus taught, people freaked out. <laughs> so I wonder, like, what, is, what was he saying? Like, was it, how did that scandalize them, really? And, and to be honest, I don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't say, but I do know in Luke's gospel, one of the first times we hear Jesus' uh, preaching that elicited a similar response um, was when he went into the temple in, in Luke 4 in Galilee, and, and, and he, you know, he not really opened the book, he more probably unrolled the scroll or however that works. And, and the text for the day, it probably wasn't the same text this day, you know, they had their own kind of lectionary sort of thing, but he, he was able to unroll that scroll and he says, you know, and this is our passage from Isaiah 61, this is so cool. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of God's favor, Jubilee. And, and what was so remarkable about this, he's reading scripture that everyone in the room knew. But what's remarkable about this is he said, this is me. This is about me. This is, I speak with authority because this is coming true in your midst. People are receiving sight, receiving freedom. Jubilee is happening. You know, Jubilee is one of those things that, that again, we said, like, this great idea in execution, pretty scary. And somehow Jesus' ministry is hinting at this, where debts are released and, and people receive new life, new opportunity grace abounding. And we see Jesus' authority in, in our Mark passage indeed when he encounters this man with a troubled spirit or an impure spirit. And, and the first thing the spirit says is, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I think it's, it's remarkable lest we, you know, make Jesus just like this tender um, peaceful uh, person who brings peace, and he is that, that Jesus encounters violence. You know, this, this thing had a hold of this man. The, again, I don't know exactly what this is, um, but it didn't take too much imagination to know when something has a hold of you, whether it's an addiction or an attitude or, a, or just an entire worldview that is violent and oppressive and and I think we've all known, and maybe we've been that person, someone that you know that person and you know what they are and, and what they're showing and, and how they are is not that person. Something has them. So Jesus encounters that violence, and unless we think he just waves a wand over it and it's peace, there's actually more violence before there's peace. It says, it says that spirit shook him violently it compulsed it convulsed him and he cried out with a loud voice and then it came out of him this thing did not want to let go of him and i think um, our scriptures are brutally honest of how hard these types of things die in us uh, i'm reminded in that and, and josh and katie are in that uh, home group that's going through mark uh, 
I was talking about this with Jeff, who is part of that group, and, and he's like, this sounds a lot like the, the calming of the storm and the sea in, in Mark 4. And he's like, it's so crazy that all these people are with Jesus this whole time. They see these things and they hear all these things. And then when it comes time um, that they're kind of in a tight spot <laughs> and, they, and the, the storm and the sea is happening, they're freaking out. And then Jesus fixes the problem. He, much like here, comes up out of a stupor and says, quiet, peace. That really freaks them out, right? Like, isn't that, isn't that the craziest thing? They've seen all this stuff, and then that's the tipping point for them. He says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? They start to understand, even in that question, his authority, the author, the one making those wind and waves, the word speaking those into being and speaking their remaking, their calming, their healing. And then at the end of, of Matthew's gospel, we encounter this, this kind of combination of authority and word and deed. And these are Jesus' last words <coughs> to his disciples. And this is the resurrected Christ encountering them and and these are familiar words. Uh, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, it's Jesus's authority that empowers them and, and that expects a lot. This authority expects, not admirers, but disciples, apprentices, people with Jesus, even as he promises to be with us. It, it, it asks us to, to take this wild step, this wild ride, and, and to ask all sorts of questions that we don't know how to compute. We don't know how to map. It invites us to counter, encounter Jesus as a prophet who, <coughs> who speaks hard words, who truth tells even as it hurts, who, who kind of completely reorients us and turns us and calls us to, to repentance. It invites us in this authority to encounter him as a priest who, who intercedes for us, even now in heaven on, on God's right hand, he sits there and whispers in God's ear, have mercy. And to encounter him as king, who's, who's inaugurated his reign. Who, who, he came and said, my kingdom is coming. And, and, and who invites us to pray on, that it happens on earth as it is in heaven. Whose kingdom hasn't fully come, but is kind of springing up around us. And we kind of participate in that and and pray, God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear where that's happening so that we can be a part of it. So I think this authority is good news for us. It's good news for you and me, for Oak Church. It's, as I was thinking back of, of ways in which I've, I've learned a little bit about Jesus' authority and word and indeed, I, I remember specifically 
in word, I, I remember in college I was, I was a pretty young Christian and I got into this discipleship relationship with this guy, Wayne, who I count as a friend and a mentor. And it was like the first time, and this, unless that sounds like really intimidating, the discipleship relationship means you like link up with someone who's been a Christian as long or a little longer than you and trust them to tell you the truth and listen, you know? And it, and it was really remarkable in this relationship, like the authority he wielded for me was not like a forced authority, but it was, it was really the authority of Christ because he, for the first time in my life, I had someone that could turn to me and say, that way that you're thinking or that way that you're treating people or that like dream that you have, that doesn't really look like Christ. <laughs> that doesn't really look like the future he has for you. And I actually stayed long enough to listen to that and to take it in and to, to kind of be obedient to that kind of authority. And it's a trust thing. And I, and I know a lot of you guys have, have had those relationships. And if you haven't, I, I ask that you seek them. And, and it's not, it doesn't take a whole lot. It, again, it takes someone who's, who knows, knows Christ a little further down the road and has been walking a little further down the road than you. And, and, and there's this like kind of dynamic feedback where them discipling you and, and into Christ is going to disciple them more too as a teacher. You always learn better as a teacher. And, and when I thought about Christ's authority in, in terms of deed, I, in terms of how it matters for us, like, you know, even in the story physically, I, I even think like what we, what we trust God for, what we trust Christ for. And I, I think even of last week when Bradley was here, and we heard from Bradley a mere hour and a half after he was at urgent care for his, his son, um, you know, coughing and, and sick. And, and when I see Bradley, I, I saw him, and he was a cool customer, trusting in God for that healing because, again, there's an authorship, there's an authority, and there's a care in this Christ that, that we believe can, can heal bodies, can, can make a difference in our real lives, um, can remove whatever fears are motivating us or animating us, uh, real things that really matter. So again, I, I put this question um, to you all, and I hope that it lingers, like it kind of bugs you this week, is what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I put that question, and I, I want us to consider it collectively as Oak Church, and, and I want us to consider it individually, because I, I think that's how it works. And it means, you know, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And I hope the answer, and I don't want to rush that answer, but I hope the answer is everything to do with us. And it, it, I think we have everything to do with you, and you have everything to do with us. Every, every motivation of ours is, is motivated by this, this author who's written the story and is writing us into the story and, and who looks at our little attempts to, to write into that story and, and doesn't necessarily laugh at us but has mercy on us and says, come here, join in to what I'm doing. Will you all pray with me? Father, we thank you 
so much for sending your son who has all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth, who is with you in the, the making of the universe, that word that spoke, let it, let there be, that word that said, it is good, that word that became flesh, a word who showed his authority not by hitting us over the head, but by taking a cross and shedding his body and blood for us. That word that rose, that word that speaks to remake us, to remake this world, to bring this kingdom, to get rid of sin and death and hurt and replace them with healing and renovation and rebuilding and restoration. God, we thank you so much for that authority that we can trust and that, that is rock solid, that we can rely on. The Holy One of God, Jesus. We thank you for these scripture stories that draw us in and make us say, what would we even be thinking if we were there? What questions would we be asking? Whose side would we be on? Father, we thank you so much for your grace. It's always looking to, to bring us back to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.